All right, I'm Sam Zermenio of Brujos Brewing, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest is Alex Helms of Troon Brewing, and he is here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Um, first, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media at All About Beer. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first, this message. Whether the groundhog saw his shadow or not, this is the time to look at green teas for spring beer rollouts. First Tea's Heisen Green Tea provides a layer of green, vegetal sweetness, and a keen roasty note that pops as a standalone addition or complement to tropical fruit. Contact First Tea at info at firsttea.com, that's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A, for details and more great ideas. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries. With local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. Visit MaltEuropeMaltingCode.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at MaltEurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order. A little bit about my guest today. Alex Helms is the owner slash brewer at Troon in Hopewell, New Jersey. Alex spent his early 20s traveling the country and working as a line cook before deciding to move back to New Jersey and start a brewery in 2015. Nine years later and still occupying the original space in a renovated barn, he could not be happier with this decision. Troon's focus is on hoppy ales, but no style is off limits as long as it's fun to drink. I can vibe with that. Um, Alex, thanks for being on the show with me, man. Um, it's always a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. Yeah, man, stoked. How are things? Uh, you know, we're middle of the winter, so pretty yeah. hungry. Yeah, I feel you. Is it? But I, I really can't talk since you're in Portland, so I'm sure it's amplified. Yeah, we had a pretty gnarly last couple of weeks with all the ice storms and whatnot. But any snow? Yeah, this um, year? We we barely had any snow, honestly. Um, yeah, same here. It was more of more of the ice this time. Last year we got a bunch of snow, but the year uh, this year it was a bunch of ice um anyway people still come out to your lines regardless yeah we try to play around the weather but sometimes it's unavoidable yeah I feel there's only it. so many windows we can release you know yeah how often are you guys releasing one to two times a week yeah right on yeah um so tell me a little bit more about your 20s yeah it says you were traveling you were a line cook what was that like yeah, I had a bit of an itinerant streak there. Uh, just after college, I felt like, I don't know, a strong urge to leave New Jersey, which I think anyone who's grown up here probably relates to. And that's probably the case for anyone in their hometown, right? Yeah, Unless yeah, you grew sure. up in California or something, which I imagine uh, you don't want to migrate far from. But I mean, I grew up in California and I wanted to get out of there, but I didn't grow up anywhere true, cool. Same so. coast. Does that still count? <laughs> yeah. Portland, I feel like Portland is a kindred spirit to a town like 
Uh, I, I'm not even going to go. I don't know California well enough to make a <laughs> comparison. I mean, there's the cool parts of California and there's like the desert parts of California, which most people aren't super stoked to live in, but you got to do what you got to do. You had a friend who moved to Palm Springs recently and it's pretty oh, wild God. there. Yeah, why yeah. Palm Springs? Uh, it just seems like such a clash of disparate types of people. Old absolutely. abandoned ruins, and then you have it's like the <laughs> yeah. toniest people in multi-million-dollar homes, and yeah, yeah dude, it's, it looks it's, like a trip. It's quite the place for sure. Um, so you get out of college. Yeah, in contrast to that, New Jersey. It's you know, I like New Jersey, but I think that's yeah. just a, a tough love kind of thing. Right. Maybe, uh, or maybe just like a Stockholm syndrome. I'm stuck here, so I have yeah. to love it. You know, I don't have a choice. Yeah, I feel you. I had a bunch of friends up north, so I moved to Vermont, and I lived there for about a year in Maine, but I just couldn't decide what to do, you know? I was just restless, so right. I kept moving, and uh, cooking was my passion at the time. still is, but professionally, and yeah. it was easy, you know? You're kind of like uh, a hired gun. It's pretty simple to find jobs, and there isn't a huge barrier to entry at most kitchens, so if you're trying to be on the move, if you're trying to stay nimble highly recommended um just could never bring myself to be a server you know or a bartender just don't think i'm personable enough uh, yeah i feel that at least not 24 7 you know yeah so i ended up moving to austin and i went to a gas station and i found this 750 on the shelf and it had this crazy label on it metallic and i brought it home it was amazing it exploded and it was still delicious. And I just looked at him like, who the hell are these guys? And it was this brewery called Jester King. Okay. So I was working at two restaurants at the time. And yeah. in my spare time, I emailed them and just asked if they had any kind of work for me, which, you know, prostrate before the brew gods like I usually was. Uh, right. Begging for any kind of opportunity to try to get into beer, which already piqued my interest. I was already a big consumer of beer. Right. So they were the first brewery that I uh, contacted that actually agreed to let me come volunteer there. And so we're in the packaging line and that, that was my entry into craft beer and really what sparked something in me to, to veer my path away from a career in cooking right. to something that I thought at, at the time and probably has become more of a conviction at this point that is a parallel to brew to cooking, which is yeah, yeah. absolutely. It shares so much. Shares. Yeah. And that that was really it. I moved to Miami after briefly. Terrible decision. <laughs> What'd you do in Miami? Still cooking. I we yeah. tried to open a craft beer bar. That was around, yeah, that was around end of 2014. So nice. I think it actually would have been pretty cool. Miami's is like, you know, heads and shoulders past what it was back then. Right. I think the only brewery at that time was Winwood Brewing. I, I oh, really? still around. But yeah, that was it. I mean, they had a Pops Porter and Blondale, like pretty simplistic stuff. Um, so a lot has changed, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So you will end up moving back to New Jersey after all that. Yeah, Did my, you... my mom sent me a clipping. And I think, you know, it's funny. I, I think I told John this, if he's listening still. But my mom sent me a clipping about this farm that was being constructed. Yeah. And their designs for a market and a, a tavern. And I was pretty skeptical, but I came back and I ended up calling the guy and we, he toured me around and showed me, I was still living in Miami at the time. I think it was during mm -hmm. the holidays. Yeah. And it just, I just knew that was the spot. 
That was it. That's awesome. Shitty barn. (laughs) Just so disgusting. I love it, dude. I love visiting all the little trinkets and art you have up everywhere. It's got history for sure. Oh, yeah. We're quite the pack rats, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like we we have a ton of space to work with, but. Right. uh, But it works for every inch. Right. So in 2015, you take the spot and you you start brewing. Did you have any brewing experience before um, opening Troon? Like you said, you worked the packaging line. Did you ever get to actually make work or anything like that? Did you homebrew at all? I was a, I was a big homebrewer, big, big homebrewer. Um, That's cool. For about a year and a half, before I signed a lease or anything, I moved back right. to Pennsylvania with my buddy Matt. And I was living at his house and I was just full-time when i wasn't cooking we worked at a ski mountain this little yeah. ski mountain uh, yeah just brewing and crafting recipes that i thought back then the my big focus was mixed fermentation i mean i was convinced that was what it was going to be yeah <laughs> like Obviously, a lot of us <laughs> yeah i think that was a common delusion or maybe well I, I know a lot of people made it happen so i won't say that yeah, yeah, but you know sure. I, I think just with my background and what i was used to tasting and what i really enjoyed that was a big component of it. So naturally, that's what I was interested in. But the other side of it was hoppy beer. And that's the beer that right. got me into craft beer, you know? So that was always maybe second or tied with mixed fermentation for something that was on my mind to brew. And, and so I spent about a year and a half on that. That's, yeah. uh, my, my other friend, his uncle had a big property up in North Jersey. So I started inching my way back towards Hopewell as the construction started. Right, And I set up my gear there and we would brew for his uncle because he let us have a bunch of space in his garage and he's a big time beer drinker. So we'd give him kegs and he, that's right. Yeah, it was pretty, it was a sweet setup. It was a really fun time in life. Pretty carefree. That's cool, man. So what were some of these hoppy ales that, or these hoppy beers that got you like excited about brewing something like that? I think the first truly hoppy beer I tried was a bomber of arrogant bastard i'm pretty sure my dad got that for me yeah uh, i don't know if i should say that but yeah when i was maybe when i was younger when i was a teenager so that was the first one that i tried that it's the first beer <laughs> yeah. i mean it's still notable <laughs> even to this day yeah. you can probably remember how abrasive that beer was oh that yeah, was during dude. those big ibu wars when like, who can break 100 and what's the threshold for I annihilating remember. people I couldn't stand that shit, dude. I was like, these beers just—it's like chewing on orange peels. I couldn't do it, but yeah, eventually, kind of just forced my way to like like bitter beers, and yeah, went from there. But so yeah, you you, you try this beer, and then anything else? Any other beers that you were like, holy shit, this is crazy? Definitely Hill Farmstead. Yeah, of course. That that is very memorable. Being at a well, we're at a memorial service, oddly enough, on a mountaintop in Vermont. Yeah. And people brought a bunch of growlers because it was nearby. We we're only about 45 minutes away. And it was beautiful. It was just real life celebration of someone who died way too young. But I just remember sitting yeah. on the picnic tables and I had never tried any of their beer before. This is, I don't even know what this year would have been. It was a long time ago. And just being blown away. And I don't know how much of that is context, yeah. but that, I, I would definitely attribute early Hill Farmstead to probably the biggest influence on me for hoppy beer. Nice. Just how soft it was. Yeah, I still haven't been in the spot. But... 
yeah well, i went last year i finally saw the new spot i'd only ever been to their prior to the smaller spot it's so beautiful up there i mean you can't really go wrong in vermont but that that's definitely a special property yeah i really want to go to vermont i still haven't been to vermont i really want to go i want to check out all those breweries that are out there yeah, it's really out of the way all right so, so you um you get into the space at some point in 2015 and you just start cranking out hoppier beers or what is it? Cause I don't really know like the whole story behind how you started and like, what were you making at first? Was Did you coin the, the hoppy ale like right away or were you brewing other styles at the time? We were brewing all sorts of styles. I think one of the first things we brewed was a porter. All the first wort I made was mixed fermentation. We filled a bunch of wine barrels. Yeah. And we just, we just never had the space for it. I really was committed to it in the beginning. Yeah. But it just became clear that, yeah, one, we just, we don't have height. We, for that matter, we don't have width. So, right. Yeah. We, 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 there's so, we're so limited on what we could store and for how long we need to keep it. How, how were you guys going about getting rid of the beer at the time? Like just crowling it? We did growler fills on demand. So oh, when yeah. we first opened, we, it's funny because when we opened the brewery, all we knew was there was an idea of a tavern, brick farm tavern. Right. And it was a beautiful building. They renovated this old house that the, the Lemmerling family used to live in. And mm -hmm. it did a gorgeous job. We were there during the construction. The GC was doing our building as well. And uh, my impression of it was going to be a pretty chill place, wood-fired grill, very good match for the brewery. Yeah. And you know, you know my stylings. You know, it's pretty relaxed. For what sure. Ended up <laughs> the guys that ended up taking the keys to that place. They really thought it was going to be a Michelin restaurant. So, in the first, in the first maybe one to two years of Troon, they yeah. had valet, mandatory valet. They had a like a nine course tasting menu. It was so wildly different than what I'd anticipated. <laughs> and I just I thought we were completely fucked right then. Yeah, that it was never going to be a fit. Right. So it felt like from the inception, it was going to be an uphill battle. And we right. don't really. And in the beginning, it was a little better because we were doing growler fills. Mm -hmm. Granted, it was not efficient at all, as you can imagine. A hundred percent of our beer we had to fill on the spot. We had no floor drains. Oh, shit. Just a disaster. That's crazy. But. And that, that was really the catalyst for starting to move to crawlers. Yeah. Again, we don't have room for a canning line. Yeah, yeah. I've, but, I've been in the space. It's small yeah, for see, sure. It's like, you know, 450 square feet, maybe, of the production area. Yeah. So, so at one point, at what point do you guys decide you want to start crawling? And who, like, you guys do that by hand, you and Sean, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was Tom, actually. Um who was the first person to work with me. Yeah. And I remember one day he we closed up the door for the day and it the lines had started getting a little longer or the the I guess the word had started to spread a bit. Yeah. And we'd open it, it would just be nonstop hours and hours of filling. And like on the go? Yeah. I mean it was just first come, first serve still. So when we'd open, people would line up and they'd pop in and we had no limit. You could just fill as many growlers as you wanted. And oh shit. It, yeah. yeah, it was I, I remember it was I was frustrated because I knew there had to be a better way and it just of seemed course. like a waste of 
time and like it was great to interact with everybody that was what this is the only thing that ever gave me pause when we decided to move to crawlers that we'd lose the interaction right because now it's just like come and get him and go exactly yeah but one day Tom, yeah Tom, i remember tom we closed up and we shut the door and i just saw on his face it's like that's not we're not that anymore <laughs> yeah just overwhelmed with the work yeah i can't believe you guys did that for how long was that I think maybe year or two. close to it maybe yeah maybe a little under a year before we moved over yeah and then it was yeah it, it was a lot easier after that i know a lot of people resented that move but like almost everything we've ever done it was purely from a from a pragmatic standpoint yeah of course just what is going to be the most efficient for our tiny inefficient setup right yeah and i'd say that's the story of the last few years Right on. So then you move on to Crowlers. At what point did uh did Sean end up joining you? And is Tom still a part of it? Tom, yeah. Tom, so Tom ended up hurting his back. Okay. And you, was, you might have mentioned that to me. Yeah, I mean, pretty badly. I think he he had prior history, you know, herniated discs and things. So it just got to a point where the amount of the labor we needed to do, you know how it is. It's yeah, yeah. It was a lot, and so he sort of backed out and retired just okay. as Sean who was working next door was sort of volunteering with us and was hanging out with us and yeah he was a really cool guy and he started basically an apprenticeship and now he is the the full-time person at True now too it's only ever been me and one other person yeah you guys are wild man I, I still am baffled at how you pull it off every time I'm like 200 and something allotments each time i'm like i'm assuming that's like two crawlers per allotment yeah yeah it is yeah well, so Sean, many Sean's crawlers dude oh my god <laughs> i'll see how you guys do it and then not only that but like the quality of any crawler i've tried from you guys is always like top notch like you clearly know what you're doing that's like oh, hat off. Appreciate it. hats off to that for sure um definitely. it's definitely been a learning process i think we have it pretty well nailed down now yeah, you, I would say you definitely do. Um, tell me a little bit about what inspires you outside of beer. Like, I know your labels are a little dark. Like, people people that don't, they haven't seen your crawlers or your art aren't really aware of it because the photos you post are, like, photographs you take yourself, right? Um, yeah. It is funny. I, I never... I never really thought about how... <laughs> the contrast between the what people see on Instagram versus what oh, it dude, yeah, looks it's like. like. It's night and day, literally. Like you, you have these beautiful outdoor pictures. I'm assuming you take them around the brewery somewhere out in the fields. Yeah, they've all been shot within 100 yards of the brewery. That's so rad. Creative. Yeah. You've I, done it, yeah. In my early, yeah. When I, I thought when I was younger that I was going to be a photojournalist. That, that was what I always dreamed about being when I was a kid. Cool. Yeah. And then awesome. I just unfortunately watched the industry crumble and erode as I was yeah. in college. As, at my most hopeful, it yeah, the whole the whole infrastructure failed. So I knew I wouldn't be able to do it, but I always had this I don't know, like a lingering hope that I'd be able to integrate photography into something that I did later on. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's why we try to make an effort to make it look nice. Yeah, you can... if for nothing else my own personal satisfaction yeah maybe, maybe it's the story of Trun. so you do you do a great job at it at first i thought it was sean taking the photos because I, I know sean's an amazing photographer as well 
Oh yeah, but, he, he would be more than capable. Uh, yeah, I think it was Hanok that showed me a picture of you taking a picture of your beers, and I was like, no shit, he's also <laughs> taking the photos that they're posting on social media that this guy is as dedicated as they get, and uh, I admire that about you. It's it's fucking cool to see. Yeah, um, subjects are a lot more squirrely and difficult to photograph. <laughs> yeah. Usually standing still, so <laughs> pretty cooperative. For sure. So yeah, what what inspires you besides uh, beer and For food? Yeah, like art. what? I know you and I have similar tastes in music. Like, what are some of the what are some of the bands or artists that you look up to and take inspiration from? Yeah, I think pro- similar to you. Growing one cool thing about growing up in New Jersey, there was a huge hardcore scene when we were teenagers, and yeah. my friend group was always into metal, always into hardcore at the time. Yeah. So I think I just grew up idolizing those bands and I and just absorbing the the art. We had a really cool record shop in Princeton, the Princeton Record Exchange. And yeah. they would sell us because if you went to Barnes and Noble, for instance, they wouldn't sell you the explicit albums when we were when we were younger. But Princeton looked the other way. I don't know if that's still a thing. I mean, I guess kids don't I mean, no one really purchases physical media anymore. So Yeah, it's kinda guess, sad. Like, can your son just go on Spotify and listen to some really aggressive shit? Is that? Yeah, I mean, are, are there, controls or there are parental controls, but like the other day, he was still able to go on and search for a song that I suggested <laughs> and he played it. And I was like, hell yeah, thanks, man. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it is funny to think. I mean, it's so easy now for us, at least uh, at least for me. I didn't have a computer till probably ninth grade or something. So by the time I learned about torrenting, yeah, and still at that point, this music's kind of obscure, right? It's not the first thing yeah, that people yeah. think to upload to LimeWire. So <laughs> it was so much relying yeah. on buying CDs or burning from friends who had it. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's kind of what made it special, since you had that book, you had the leaflet in your hand, you were able to look at the the art i hardly ever get exposed to that stuff anymore unless you're at a show and there's a merch booth or something yeah you see the album cover but that's it i feel like a lot of that has been lost yeah it's, it's kind of sad honestly it is yeah I, I know i know you're heavily into collecting records yeah uh, I, I have some i lost some throughout the course of all the years of traveling and moving around and shit but i've yeah i still have a pretty solid collection of records and uh yeah, I still go to the record stores every now and then try to find stuff that I've lost, but it's it's hard to find now. I don't really want to spend time on eBay trying to find the records that I lost. <laughs> True. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. We're going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Alex Helms. Not all green teas are created equal, and using the wrong green tea in your brew can yield a dull, flat flavor. Enter First Tea's Heisen Green Tea with spring green tea character and soft sweetness. Find out more about Heisen Tea and other botanicals for beer by emailing info at firsttea.com. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries. With local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. 
Visit MaltEuropeMaltingCo.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at MaltEurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order. All right. So we were talking about music and records. Um, I'm excited for this year. Last year, I fractured my kneecap. And so that was in the early spring. And I, I couldn't go to any concerts for almost until the beginning of winter. It took forever. Yeah. How did that happen? Were you, I think you said you were playing hockey or some shit. Yeah. It was just a freak accident. I've never broken a bone before. That was the first one. That's crazy. Not, not recommended. Yeah, dude, I've broken several, and it is definitely not recommended. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain in the ass to mash in when you have a broken leg. Yeah, fuck, I can I can't believe you did that, honestly, dude. I was like, at the time, I was so like done with my job, and I was like, I need to get out of here. And I was, I think, I remember telling you, like, dude, if you need help, I'll come out and help you mash in. I just want to get away from here. <laughs> oh man, I've been there. I've been there many times yeah well and now now you have the satisfaction of no stress whatsoever right now that you own your own business <laughs> yeah dude it's like tenfold <laughs> now and shit but it's yeah. it's the good kind of stress for sure true right, let me think of let me go through my notes here i had some more questions um do you want to talk about your hoppy ales and how you achieve this insanely dense haze and this beautiful head retention that a lot of us are jealous of <laughs> that that's been just years and years of experimentation yeah um I, I will freely say that my experience with commercial brewing you asked i i had none going into brewing so to me it's a lot of intuition and experimentation trial and error just like i would have approached cooking right just what very driven by my subjective taste yeah so absolutely i think there's yeah, a couple key factors to it mm -hmm. the first and i remember this was a much bigger conversation I, I think most people have figured it out at this point but haze stability i remember when i had first started that was really the thing that was plaguing a lot of breweries because back yeah. then everyone was using conan um oh, i'm sure people still i mean it's definitely workhorse strain i, I like conan but for People sure convinced that was it that was the one uh for hazies yeah I, I remember trying that a few times and just not being able to achieve like the haze that i wanted and whatnot yeah it's it's a tough balance right i mean i don't know how you feel about harvesting yeast but i do feel like a, the yeast that you use has to strike a balance of at least flocculating a little bit mm -hmm. some london threes you get from labs they just don't at all. They're so powdery. You can you can barely get a pitch out of them. Yeah, but, dude. I, I've always had a hard time with London three, just harvesting. It's always like so thin and you just have to wait days and sometimes you don't have days to do that. So that's well, that's the issue. Yeah. And I Yeah, I think so a, a combination, it so it needs to flock if you care about that. I know some people just pitch every time, which is fine. But I think mm. if you're of the school of thought that we are that you like higher abv yeast um, right. rather i think you need a yeast that's been acclimated at least for a few generations to drive it that high absolutely 
at least my experience or my preference. Yeah. So I think that was that was one huge component of it, finding the right yeast that is cooperative, that's stable, and is pretty consistent uh, generation to generation. Right. But isn't going to leave you with, uh, you know, zero cell count and fucked for your yeah, badge, yeah. which I've experienced too many times. And then running out. I, I know in Portland, it's probably a little easier to get brewing supplies and yeast and things, but for us in the boonies. It's yeah, I imagine it's much harder for you. We, we're lucky out here. Everyone in town has spare yeast often, and we share it. Um, not all of us, but some of us. Um, like how many generations of yeast are you are you getting out of a pitch on average? It it depends. So we usually run three yeasts at a time. Okay. Or concurrently. So some of our yeast will run to seven generations. Yeah. Some of it it's it's three max. Yeah, yeah. And then the characteristics change. I still like using yeast blends. I'm still a fan of that. They're not consistent at all, as you can imagine. Yeah, I've done it myself. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> is just so mutated. Yeah. I But I think... So that that's one big component is yeast. For sure. Second is water. Yeah. You know, I, I think you, you are a big... I was listening to your episode with Hennick, but I know that you're a big proponent of, of calcium chloride heavy mm -hmm. calcium chloride yeah i would i would agree with that too we've tried mm -hmm. just about everything i think one advantage we have is that we don't really disclose what we're putting in the beer so we have that a look into customer preference that right. maybe other people don't having knowing what hops people are responding to over and over again or what water profiles people are responding to right i think I love that you do that. You don't disclose much on your can besides like the date, the name, and the ABV. I was always kind of intrigued by that, but it makes sense being who you are and how you've gotten here. Um, I love that you don't disclose everything. So you get a real honest feedback from people on social media or untapped or whatever you will. Um, That's where it was derived of. Because yeah. I know a lot of people have cynical views on that. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, to obfuscate the fact that we use the same hops in every batch. It's the same criticism people level at any people, any yeah. brewer who's making a lot of hoppy beer, right? Right. But ultimately, we found early on that people are so prejudiced against certain hops. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I don't, I don't find generally that that is the case if they don't know what the hop is. And <laughs> it's not to diminish people's taste or, you know, like argue sure. against subjective taste or whatever. Yeah. I, I think it's just the truth. And I can, I can prove that based on what we brew. Right. Uh, there's just certain hops that attract negative attention. And I think that's fine. We all have like taste associations, flavor, scent associations. It happens with food all the time. Yeah. But of course. If it's there and you're not aware of it, it's not super overt. Um, I just don't think it's a problem because I think more often than not, people don't like a note that might be present in one variety of hop, but yeah. that might be dominant in a batch or, you know, a harvest of a hop grown somewhere. Yeah. Like a batch of citra that's really garlicky and maybe someone is, is especially sensitive to that. Yeah. And they respond to it. But if you ask them, that could be their favorite hop. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so what about your grist? What is that looking like? Are you like pro the oats or are you pro wheat or both or Pilsner for base or two row? 
I feel like your beers are very light in color for the most part, which makes me think you use a little bit of Pilsner malt or not. I'm a big fan of Pilsner malt. We use two row as well. Um, the highest lava on malt we probably use is is probably a Maris Otter. Yeah. If you get a pale Maris Otter, that's yeah, about yeah. as far as we'll take it. Mm-hmm. I, I know now also we were talking about hay stability and, and things. I think the the deleterious effects of of crystal ball are now pretty well established. Yeah. So we try to steer clear of that. There's certain exceptions, you know, right. I think it has its place, but yeah. in certain I styles, I feel like, yeah, definitely. And I think definitely if we're not that, hazy, yeah. I will definitely say that if we had a tap room, I would brew more hazies with crystal malt, mm-hmm. just knowing that they'll be consumed rapidly and that they're going to be on tap and they're not going to degrade really quickly. Yeah. But people tend to hold on to cans for like a very a maddeningly long amount of time. It's insane how some of these people are like cracking year old crawlers. And I'm still just like, wow, that crawler doesn't look oxidized. That's amazing. But why why the fuck did you hold on to that for a year? You're crazy. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'll never understand the logic there. If yeah. I had my way, people would drink it in 30 seconds. But... Oh, I know, dude. Same. I'd be like, you have one week to finish this can. <laughs> or it was self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the puree guys were onto something, you know. We need we need a way to combat that. Yeah. It's, it's, actually, it's actually dangerous for you to help hold on to this for longer than that. Uh, <laughs> explode in a week. <laughs> drink it now. Drink it now. How much of a pain in the ass is it for you to brew other styles like a big pastry style? Because I know you guys do some of those too. And I've seen your system and it's very hands-on. I can only imagine how much of an effort it takes from you to actually get up there and mash that in and grain out. Yeah, it's just every everything is so manual. You know, we have two vessel system. Have to mash in by hand. There's no easy way about it. Our, our stouts now, we've pushed them to such an extent that they just get maddeningly stuck. Just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I don't know what happened. It just, maybe like a year ago, they just all started sticking. It's really disincentivized me to to brew them. But we still do. I, I love brewing the whole gamut of beer. I There's nothing that I don't like brewing it's all fun i just the way that our business model works the way that it's the most efficient is we we can only store so we can only store one batch of beer in the in our fridge physically yeah so that's as soon as we package we need to get it out or else we physically cannot package again yeah so you really do rely on people coming and just taking it all so you can keep going yeah it's a necessity there's really nothing else we can do with it. So yeah, that's tough. And then the, I mean, you guys do a great job at that. It seems like you have no problem getting rid of it, which is cool. You get to keep brewing. Yeah, I think the the number one thing that we try to brew for is the assumption that the person who's coming, it's their first time coming, and that's the beer that they're going to judge us on. Yeah, so, right. So it's a, it's kind of a tough predicament because on the one hand, people are really excited to come get it. Mm-hmm. which is the whole goal, right? You, you need people to be excited and to engage with the beer. On the yeah. other hand, if that's their first time to the brewery and that's the week that you're selling a lager. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, like, how was I so misled that I, I thought this brewery was going to be amazing and this did not blow my mind. Right. And so it's tough. You have to tread that line where 
the the local people who it's really accessible to are much more receptive because they don't have to go out of their way. And so we brew those beers for them. The rest yeah. of the time, I feel beholden to the person who's or who it was a total inconvenience for to come get the beer. And I'm just being realistic. I know what they'd like to see when they come. I of know course. To purchase. So we try more often than not to, to give that to them. Um, yeah, yeah. And again, it, it doesn't bother me. I, for me to brew any style is it's equally as fun. Yeah. Equally as stimulating. So there's no resentment from here from me here. For sure. What is what is your favorite style? Is it is it hoppy ales or is it something else like as far as brewing goes? Like what do you what do you have the most fun brewing? I think at, th at this point, probably hoppy ale, just because I've, there's so many iterations of them. And yeah, right. It, it still feels like I I never quite get what I want. I feel the same way, dude. Every batch, I'm just like, oh my god, it's not hazy enough, or it's just not aromatic enough, or whatever it is. You know, like I wanted my pH here, but it finished here. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the privilege that consumers have versus the people who are actually making it. Again, not to draw every comparison to food, but it is similar to have something plated and delivered to you and to be able to just eat it on the spot without any context or not knowing what it went into it. It's, right. it's very enjoyable for a beer. You've tasted it from the kettle to three days into fermentation. Yeah. And sometimes you know how it feels. You're, you're, this beer's on a trajectory and you feel like here it is. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm aiming for. It gets up, you carbonate it, you package it, it's exactly what I want. And then as soon as it's canned, you open one and you go, oh shit, well, maybe not. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> I feel you so hard on that, dude. And it's almost like you're sick of it at that point, right? You, you failed. Yeah, I'm like, I just, just want to give up on this shit. I'm going to start yeah. growing all lager out here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lager okay. in the tank that I'm really stoked on right now. What kind of lager? It's a Munich Hellas. I did a little single decoction on it and it turned out awesome. I'm excited for you Hell to yeah. try it. I'll send you awesome. We uh we actually had so there's a distillery next to us and there are, I think two distillers ago they had a super talented guy, Jeremy. Yeah. He was one of the co-owners of a, another brewery out here called Nishamity Creek. Mm -hmm. And he's a one of the most talented lager brewers that I know. Yeah. He, he actually has spent the last few years in Germany brewing out there. Oh wow. Which That's maybe awesome. might might be a testament to his talents but yeah it was really cool to have him on the property because he would always come by and we'd shoot the shit and it's fun to bounce off what we're doing with him because even when we do loggers we do them a little bit differently you know put a spin on them I yeah, don't yeah really i don't think there's any point in us trying to make a really down the middle logger yeah just because of the, how we have to release the beer the necessity of have laid out it just doesn't make sense yeah, uh, yeah. so that's why, you know, we focus on the things that we can make an impact with. But I, part of me really wishes that I had the flexibility and the space mm -hmm. to brew those beers because, yeah, I do. I do enjoy them. I love drinking them. Of course. I, I would love to try my hand at them uh, over and over again. Yeah. Not the situation right now. No, I feel you. You have to cater to your audience. Like you said, there's that random person that shows up. And they, they get a lager from you and they're like, I wanted the hazy. <laughs> and you just feel bad. You're like, sorry, man. Like, 
Yeah, there's one on Tapix Store. You could try it, but yeah, right. <laughs> it's the allure of the can, I think. Yeah, I only made one because I feel like everyone's like, "Can you make one?" I'm like, I'm pretty sure right? I can. <laughs> but yeah, I'm also gonna focus on the hazy, hoppy stuff more than anything right now. Um, I, I enjoy, yeah, I enjoy brewing them as well. Like you said, they're so, they're so different. Yeah, absolutely. That's the style that you like, and it's so denigrated in the community. Yeah, it's almost like frowned upon by some of the brewers. I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, what's what's wrong with the hazy IPA or whatever? Like, I don't think haze is a flaw if it's done right, you know? Yeah. Hey, I mean, I, I've tried. There's a reason why it's like the top selling style in the beer in the world right now. So I think, you know, I think that's one point that gets lost a lot with people who who question how it came to dominate craft beer and i think it's pretty simple right i could make an amber ale but how much or how well can i compete with someone who's making that amber ale perfectly yeah. for the last 20 years Absolutely. at a lower price point that's readily available everywhere yeah and just what's you, the you point it's, it's been done well it. and if i had a tap room it'd be great but what is the one style of beer that that is so volatile that it won't taste as good a month later. Yeah. <laughs> Which one will legitimately, you have a better shot of finding a better beer at your local brewery than on the shelf. I think that's, that's hazy beer. I mean, there's yeah. a few other styles you could look to, but that's really it. For sure. And I, that's why I think it will persist as a really popular style. That and how flavorful it is. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I get it, man. I, I love hoppy beer. I'm going to continue brewing hoppy beer. I hope you do too, because I think you're one of the best at it in the country right now. Fucking the world, really. Well, I appreciate um, that. I think. Yeah. I think, do you guys uh, have do you guys have any plans for the future of Troon? Is is it always going to be the barn, or do you someday hope to open an actual tasting room of your own? That's, that's the real question. I think we, we've sort of been on the precipice of expanding for maybe three years. Right. I mean, really looking in earnest for a new spot. And I think there's, there's so many factors. I'm not a fortune teller. I can't yeah, say yeah. where the industry will be in five years or. Yeah. None of us can. Right. We, yeah. Like 2020 and 2022 and all that shit. It was wild. I'm glad I didn't open up this brewery during that time, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would, I, I, my friend Vince opened, in Asheville in October, right before the pandemic. Uh, I just sucks. felt so bad because you're in this slow period in the beginning of the year and then yeah, you're, yeah. you're working towards this and then it's all pulled out from under you. So Yeah, dude. I mean, I, yeah. I felt terrible and they had put so much, I mean, just like everybody, it's not, you know, it's not a cakewalk. They, they put so much time and effort in this place and thankfully it's thriving to this day, but yeah, I'm glad uh, to hear it. Dude, got cause... a little taste of that. And it's definitely a wake up call and only having a single employee. And, you know, he's one of my best friends as well, which is helpful. And Tom is still one of my best friends. He still helps us out around yeah. the brewery and he's not right. doing all the, the things that I am not. So, yeah, it's always good to have a team like that, man. People that just have other strengths and other parts of the business. Like I have Ivan over here because. I mean, he, that guy just loves to talk and everyone loves him. I don't have that forte. I feel like <laughs> I'm not as personable. I mean, I can be, but it's stressful enough having to operate behind the scenes with the brewing and all that stuff to 
want to talk about it all the time with people. Agreed. I, I, I truthfully, you know, I really appreciate you inviting me on. I just never feel like I have much to contribute to the <laughs> I think, you know, in the eyes of the majority of people, Troon is a, a total joke. You know, it's just a little tiny brewery, home brewery. Um, okay. Which is, awesome. Man, it just, it just puts so much time and effort and obsession behind the scenes, you know, that no one will ever see. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm not. Yeah, I know. This I, is why I, like, I hate the limelight. Don't not interested. So, yeah, uh, this is why I, I appreciate you more than anything for taking the time to come on oh, the show. And talk with me. Never I really that. just wanted to have a conversation <laughs> with you. You're a good dude. And you were an amazing chef, man. When you cooked for me at your house, I was like kind of mind blown. Like, holy <laughs> shit. I, I wasn't really paying attention to you cooking. I was outside with Sean. Um, and before it I knew such it, a fun time having you guys out here. I, that tour was quite the undertaking. I know with everything else you had on your plate, but it was, yeah. it was great to have you over here. It, thanks for having us, dude. It was amazing. Like, Ivan still talks about it to this day. I think he's out there somewhere in the brewery right now. So that's um, the thing I was talking. I was talking to Ivan, saying how much we would love to come to the opening. Yeah, um, you probably shouldn't, man. It's going to be yeah, such yeah. a chaotic time. I, I would say come like a month later. <laughs> that's what I was saying to Sean. I don't think we're going to see them. Like you'll see us, but I can't imagine we'll have a second to hang out and shoot the shit, really. I mean, I would love to have you if you do come out. I'll make the time for it, for sure. Well, we might have to just hold our breath for that, uh, the rafting trip. Oh, dude, yeah. We missed it last year because you broke your knee. That sucked. <laughs> but, yeah, we were all that looking forward to that. only activity, as long as, unless uh, some rapids dump me down and break my <laughs> other knee. I actually flipped the kayak in that river like an idiot. I was like, why did I bring a kayak? I should have brought a fucking tire like everyone else. But it was Oh, yeah, the, like the inner tube ones? Yeah, I mean, we usually bring inner tubes, but... Man, the kayak's aggressive. We're just going yeah, up what, down, Yeah, up one, time, one time I decided to bring a kayak and I flipped myself and <laughs> bashed up my knees pretty good, but not, luckily I didn't break a bone. Yeah, don't, don't knock on wood or something. You're too close to the finish line here. Yeah, no. I, I guess I'd say the starting line. Yeah, right. It feels like one through one ribbon into the next one. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, I've been doing this so long. I feel like I'm like this isn't new, but to a lot of people it is. So we got to keep going and keep trying hard to make these cool beers, just like you. Well, I, I question about the the opening. Mm-hmm. Is this is this a date that you had in mind, or is this just a product of construction coming to an end, or beers being ready? How how did you decide on it? It seemed like and, a few months out, so very premeditated, right? Yeah, um, we're still very much trying to finish the bar because we decided to do a lot more than we should have, honestly. But um, I decided on March second because these guys were just kind of taking their time. And I was like, nah, we gotta, we gotta get going. Like once you miss the spring in Portland and the summer, like you miss a big opportunity on people being out and about and traveling to Portland. So I was like, let's get through the winter. And, and as soon as the spring comes, like we would get after it and then we can kind of take a breather next winter and, and go from there. So it was that me just trying sense. to, yeah, it was me just pushing these guys to get it going yeah the weather is very i don't know 
you've been out here. It's very gloomy most of the year, so we need. We we caught a lucky streak, but yeah, I remember it was uh, it was pretty touch and go. Yeah, for sure. And now LA is underwater. So yeah, they got my something parents. like fifty percent of their annual rainfall in a single day. That's gnarly, dude. That happened to us. The town I live in in New Jersey got. It's funny, a space we were looking at to expand into got, uh, I think, 22 inches of water. Oh. This, <laughs> when, this year? Uh, two years ago. Oh, there, shit. There's FEMA relief effort and everything. And yeah. I just remember walking past that space afterwards and just going, holy shit, we could have <laughs> invested a million dollars in that building. Yeah. Jesus, man. All been lost instantly. That would have sucked so bad. All right. Well, uh, Alex, All right, my thank friend, you so uh, much, dude, for taking the well. time. Um, I Tell appreciate it. What's up? Yeah, I absolutely will. Um, Alex will be back on the next episode of the show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing that will be on the air in two weeks. So make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Sam Cermeno of Brujos Brewing. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. This episode was sponsored by First Tea. First Tea invites you to explore the rich and versatile world of teas and botanicals, including Heisen Green Tea. Email info at firsttea.com, that's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A, for support in choosing the right tea and the optimal way to use them. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries. With local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. Visit MaltEuropeMaltingCo.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at MaltEurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order.